Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 40 of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. This episode is for the week of January 4th, 2022. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing for Episcopal Retirement Services, and I'm here with Kristen Davenport, Director of Communications for ERS and our Executive Producer. How are you, Kristen? Hi, Brian. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. It's 2022. We're on our 40th episode. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, that's so exciting. Uh, Having started this almost two years ago to get to 40 episodes um, really feels special. And we've had a a lot of great opportunities to to speak with a lot of great people, residents, family members, uh, people within ERS, uh, and of course, Laura every week. So the Linkage podcast is dedicated to educating our audience about issues regarding aging, informing people about the mission of ERS and how that comes to life in our everyday interactions with residents, clients, families, and staff members. So we've got a great show coming up. Kristen, you want to tell us all about it? I do. Brian, um, you know, you mentioned that this podcast has given us the opportunity to, to connect with our residents. And today we've got two residents from Dupree House. Mm-hmm. Um, first with us is uh, Dr. Betty Rule. Um, I met Betty um, back when you and I very first were um, getting to know each other. Betty was the first resident that I ever wrote a story about, and uh, she's very impressive. Um, She uh, attended Juilliard, and she also later in life, when she was 38 years old, went to medical school and became an internal, um, a, a doctor of internal medicine. Um, We get to talk to her and listen to her wisdom. Um, Mostly she wanted to tell our listeners to get vaccinated. So I'm excited to share that um, interview. You'll be uh, speaking today with um, Mary Austin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mary's also a resident of Dupree House. She and her husband, Arnie, and I've known them a long time as well. I can remember Mary and Arnie visiting um, in attending our gala even before they were residents and right. uh, a very dear couple. I'm glad you're going to get to check in with Mary. And then yep. of course, we've got our um, connection with um, our president and CEO, uh, Lara Lamb. Lara um, gives us the updates for everything going on around the ERS campuses. And um, I know today is a special check-in with her just to see, you know, how things are going for her this January. So. That's right. Well, thanks, Kristen. Yeah, we've definitely got a great show and let's uh, let's get it started. You want to introduce uh, your first guest? Absolutely. Well, Dr. Betty Rule and I sat down recently and um, Dr. Rule has some very strong feelings about the uh, vaccine. She wanted to share that, but I also got her to share a little bit with us about her um, her early years, her upbringing, how she made her way to Juilliard and um Columbia and beyond that. So um, without further delay, here's my interview with Dr. Betty Rule. Dr. Rule, thank you for joining me today on the podcast and our listeners. Well, it's a pleasure my dear i'm so delighted to be here oh thank you and um dr rule i'm gonna call you betty during our conversation because you told me i was allowed and uh absolutely and i love that name so thank you for that that's great (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you and I met some time ago. Um, you were the first person that I ever interviewed in my job here at ERS. And I wrote a story about you and I've been interested in you and your um, background and your career ever since. The year we met was 2014, you were a Dupree House resident. Yes. And would you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background? Oh, you mean to start when I was born? <laughs> Anything you wanted to share. <laughs> born in a little town called Jeanette, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and Jeanette is five miles away from Greensburg. And Greensburg was named for General Nathaniel Green. And Jeanette was named for his daughter. I never knew that, and I'm I from Pennsylvania. That. That's amazing. I think it's a lovely story. <clears throat> so I'm very far, very proud to be able to tell it. <clears throat> now, uh, Jeanette was a very small town, um, and there's a lady here who was also born in Jeanette, and she talked about the hospital. When I was born in Jeanette, there was no hospital. Wow. And that, so, that day, the doctors were out playing golf, so they couldn't reach anybody. <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't have any, else, any other place to go. <clears throat> anyway, it was a lovely little town. And um, we so, uh, ultimately moved to Greensburg, and I went to Greensburg High School and Seton Hill College, which was in, uh, in Greensburg. It's now a university, thank goodness that's great. And uh, then I was interested in music and played the piano. And uh, when my father died when I was 15, <clears throat> he had cancer. He knew he was dying and this poor man was concerned about what was going to happen to his family when he was gone. So he asked me to take care of my mother and sister when he was gone. So I promised him I would do that. So after he died, I started teaching piano to all the kids in the neighborhood. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that was my first business. Wow. <clears throat> and then when I went to New York to go to the Juilliard School, I was on their list of approved teachers. So if you were in New York, and you wanted your child to learn to play the piano, you called Juilliard and they gave you my name. Wow. Wow. I thought that was pretty good. I used to travel all over the place to teach these youngsters, but that was a great experience. Yeah, in New York City, that's amazing. Back then, um, a lot of subway travel, I guess. What was that like? Well, subway travel was interesting. <laughs> But the, it was nothing spectacular. But what I remember particularly was the, the number of Jewish immigrants that we had in New York <clears throat> because they were murdered in Germany. And they came over to the United States and put great uh, lunch uh, places where you could go get a great lunch oh, for yeah. a reasonable price. Uh, all over New York City. Mm -hmm. There were 115 or so of these great Jewish luncheons uh, yes. all over the place. Now there must have been about 10. Yes. So music was a big part of your life. Um, 
but you decided that that wasn't where you were going to stop. You went on from there. Tell our listeners more about what you decided after you left Juilliard. I went to uh, to Juilliard in New York, and one day I was it was shortly after I arrived there that I happened to look up at the corner, and it was a, a sign, and it said Broadway. And out loud I said, this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had nothing to do with Broadway, never did, never will. <laughs> but I thought that was just a perfect name for what I wanted to do. <laughs> Great fun. Great fun, yes. Juilliard was a very interesting school. It was originally set up for 800 students. And now the war is over and the GI guys are coming back. So we have 2,000 students. Oh, wow. The place was ultimately, you know, just absolutely filled up with people. That was not a good thing. And after a couple of years there, I decided there was no point in going on with that. Wow. Because they were changing the, 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 the coursework and... It, it, it didn't make any difference how many uh, years I went to Juilliard. I always had four more years to go. <laughs> wow. So yes. I decided to go to Columbia University instead, and I got my master's from there. And what did you do? Um, what was your course of study for your master's? All music and music ed, music education. So your doctor rule. So tell us how you became doctor rule. Let's see, I fiddled around with this, uh, trying to teach music, and I didn't do too well with that because I got a job in New York City operating the switchboard at a a firm. Uh, I thought that was great fun, and those people taught me to write. I learned a lot of things. I never did get out of town Mm -hmm. where I would be uh, a teacher of music in some school or the other. Mm -hmm. That never happened. But I was very happy in New York doing a lot of very interesting, strange things. (laughs) (laughs) That was okay. Now, what was the question you asked me? So how did you become Dr. Rule? Oh, I had a couple of friends, two doctors, and they took me to um, meetings that they had to go to to listen to lectures about which I knew nothing. And uh, I'd listen to this stuff, and you know, this stuff sounded sensible. <laughs> yes. It sounded really sensible. So I liked that. And then I, they would make their rounds at different hospitals. And then they'd say, well, I forgot where did I lay, I forgot where I put the car. <laughs> so I would say to them, look, I'll tell you what, let's take my car and I'll remember where I put it, okay? <laughs> so I became their chauffeur. Went to the, the conferences with them and they were kind enough to take me to dinner someplace. Usually an Italian place at the end of the island. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> where you got good Italian food. Right. And uh, they were very kind to me. And then Dr. Rule asked me to, if I wanted a job in his office in, in a res- as a, a person in a research group. I liked that. And then he would say to me, you better go to medical school. Wow. And uh, 
I thought that was a little, a little, you know, exaggerated. But uh, when he first said it, that's what I thought. Five years later, I thought I wasn't too old to go. So that's <laughs> good. You that, were what, thirty-eight years old? Yeah, thirty-eight. <clears throat> so I finished medical school. I had two more years to go. See, I did. I had done all the pre-med stuff. Right. And I had two more years to go before I could be, at age 40, I would be a, do a doctor. Practicing yeah. doctor. Yeah. And it was a long trip, but it was very good. We learned a lot. We were very well trained. Yes. No doubt about that. Yes. Good people. So what was your practice of medicine? What was that like? Internal medicine mm -hmm. covers everything from the mouth to the anus, all mm -hmm. the, those things in the, in the body of the, the, the person. So a lot of stuff to cover, and it's fascinating. Well, I wanted to kind of make sure our listeners knew your, um, your background, your history, your qualifications before we come to our topic that we both wanted to get together to talk about today, and that is the current virus that we're facing, COVID-19. And I know you have very strong feelings about that. Yes, I do. You can imagine the president of Russia and the president of the United States sitting at a table talking to each other. And one says, my ships are bigger than yours. And the other says, my army's bigger than yours. And the other one says, but my army could beat your army. And all this kind of stupid conversation is going on between leaders of two great yes. world places. Somebody comes along with a little teeny bug and it gets loose. Yes. And murders a lot of people. Can you imagine something like that? Uh. It's, it's happening, it's all around us. It is it? happening right now. And I'm saying the bug battle isn't over. We have a lot of work to do, and it isn't going to be easy, but we need your help. Get vaccinated. The thing about our uh, community here we take care of each other. And one of the ways that we do that is by all being vaccinated. Yes. And fully vaccinated and boosted. And it's wonderful. That's one of our best tools, our best um, ways to get rid of this bug. That's right. I'm glad that you've got that wisdom, you've got that background, and you realize that that is one of the best ways we can fight this virus. Well, they'll tell you, well, they don't believe vaccinated helps. You know, they also believe in uh, the Easter Bunny. <laughs> they believe in Santa Claus. So I don't know what they're talking about. Right. Well, I am um, very glad that you were able to be with me today to share your strong feelings about getting vaccinated and protecting yourself and protecting those that you love. So thank you, Dr. Rule, for being here today and for sharing. Thank you so much for inviting me. Appreciate that. Wow, Kristen, what a wonderful interview with uh, Dr. Rule. Uh, she is 
certainly an extremely interesting person um, with her background, as you previously, you know, introduced at the top of the show. And, and we got to know uh, more intimately through your interview. Um, just, just fascinating. Yes, I was very excited to um, interview interview Betty. Um, mm-hmm. She told me I should call her Betty, which I felt very privileged to, to call <laughs> her that. And right. um, you know, I was ex- actually she heard about our podcast, Brian, and she wanted to be on. And um, I was I was really happy to connect with her. She talked a lot about um, how important it is to get vaccinated. And I know that is a big mission of our president and CEO, Laura Lamb, who um, helped us, you know, bring it to um, the point of a mandate here at ERS. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I'm very grateful for. So, yeah, um, so important as we it helps us, you know, really live out our mission to enrich the lives of older adults, um, you know, and, and, and take care of people sep- um, safely. So, uh, I was very, very, very glad to hear her take on on the vaccines. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear um, your conversation with Laura this week. So let's listen to Brian and Laura. So I'm back uh, this month with President and CEO Laura Lamb. Hi, how are you, Laura? I'm doing okay, Brian. How about you? Yeah, yeah, doing okay. It's uh, certainly the middle of the winter, and it, we're um, in the midst of a, a, a this great surge of Omicron. It, it, it certainly feels a little heavier, thicker air these days, and um, so it's it's kind of interesting times for sure. Um, yeah. So I guess with with that said, I I I, I wanted to to bring up maybe a, a bit of a heavier discussion uh, today. And you and I were maybe talking about this a little earlier. You know, first of all, I want to just recognize the, the loss of your father-in-law. I'm so sorry for your, your family's loss, your loss. Um, but but that kind of dove into a, a topic maybe that uh, so many of us have been dealing with that, that manifests in so many ways is this topic of loss. And you, you had talked about this, this recent podcast uh, on, uh, from an author that was talking about loss. And I, I wonder if you could maybe dive into that um, for our listeners a little bit. Sure. I, I appreciate that. And first of all, I just want to let you, thank you for, you know, your con- condolences and, you know, it's never easy to lose someone and, you know, Clarence has been my father figure for, sure years old. So, right. um, so I appreciate that. Um, so I, I think where I'm at, like you are, is we're in the middle of this surge that is, you know, taking our breath away. It's much worse than we had even mm-hmm. la- you know, late 2020, uh, right. um, if that's even possible, which I hate even saying out loud, but it is. Right. And you, you know, you combine that with, the loss of a loved one, which, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have lost loved ones during this time. So I don't mean to pretend that my loss is any greater. Right. And then you add to that. And I know, you know, this, that my husband wrapped up working at um, his employer 
planned uh, to wrap up, you know, his employment with a company that had been with for 30, almost 35 years. Wow. Yeah. And um, it all kind of came together and it led me to um, a researcher by the name of uh, Pauline Boss, who Mm-hmm. has done a lot of work in grief and loss. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, when you stumble upon something and you just know that it was meant for you to hear it at this moment, um, right. because it was, it was dealing with all of those things we just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and I forgot to mention it being Martin Luther King weekend, just this last weekend. So, sure. um, so uh, Pauline um, Boss is a PhD, and her research is a uh, is about this concept of, and this caught my attention. It'll catch yours is the myth of closure, which was the title is the mm-hmm. title of her book. Right, and for somebody that is an ENTJ, I E N T J, and J stands for closure on Myers Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? It's a myth of closure. Right, caught my caught my attention, and. She introduces her readers to uh, a concept called ambiguous loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. what does it mean? Um, well, you know, ambiguous loss are these things that happen, these losses that happen in your life that aren't the normal, you know, somebody's passed away and I need to say goodbye. Although that that could be one, but it right. could be. It could be, you know, milestones missed. How many, how many people, how many listeners in the last two years have missed an important milestone in their life? Right, right. Um, the loss you know, of friends. Many, exactly. How many times have we had to restrict access to our family members because of COVID? Well, th- those are losses. So she she talks about a concept of this this kind of frozen grief um, that ambiguous losses. Mm-hmm. Um, cause. And, you know, I think myself and you and every, frankly, everybody I know mm-hmm. is, at some well, some level has had these losses, these ambiguous losses over the last two years. And, sure. you know, h- how do we navigate through them if they're not traditional? And one of the concepts that she puts out very early is the, the grief, the five stages of grief that you know, a lot of us have just come to know mm-hmm. and her, her research is kind of challenging that linear feeling or that linear view of grief and loss, which frankly was really refreshing to me because right. I don't necessarily go through the five stages in a linear format. So right. <laughs> kind of interesting for me to read that, but mm-hmm. um, I I'm, I'm working on the book and I'd love to, share with you more, but just, just kind of naming it really helpful for me um, this past week or so dealing, dealing with the things that have been thrown at my family in the last, you know, 21 days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, I think so many people have been feeling with that. And I I think of another kind of area of our population that we serve those that are living with Alzheimer's and dementia and particularly those caregivers that have to grieve, you know, at, at maybe one or two or three different points of time as they say goodbye to a loved one. It's, that's a really interesting concept. It, you know, it is. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, that is something that we really work, work on at ERS is, you mm-hmm. know, memory support and inclusion. 
And um, she, Dr. Uh, Boss, actually did quite a bit of work in her research, actually uh, coaching and counseling families that uh, were caregivers with Alzheimer's and dementia. So I think there's just so many applications to her work uh, in what we do and candidly what we've been experiencing. So again, I think it's, it's one of those that, that many people might benefit from looking, looking up the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, there's so many ways that, 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 that that ambiguous loss can bubble up here, especially in the, just the pressure cooker of this Mm -hmm. time of COVID and, Mm -hmm. And social strife and economic challenges all bubbling up at one time. But I guess I'll be interested in some of the output of that book as you go through it. But I I guess I've always learned through history that there's often great opportunity for for new and and uh, you know new trends and and great art and great thinking that can come out of challenging times. So I you know I kind of latch on to that that hope myself at times. For sure. And and what I like about the way she structured this most recent book is that, you know, it's, it's action oriented. So I'll, mm. I'll be sure to, sure to yeah. share that with you when I get, when I get to that part. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think well, we, we can learn from these situations, but I think to give ourselves a vocabulary, number one, to, to, to make sure that folks know that they're not alone. Right. Right. And that there are tools, there are ways to look at things so that you can, you know, move through it instead of being stuck, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Cause it, it, when you're going through, it can be one, the difficult time of sure. trying to navigate out of it. So it's, that it's good to have those tools. Yeah, for well, sure. So, so kind of going back to the, the heaviness of the times, I mean, you and I spoke right around the, the holidays last month and, and we were kind of anticipating Omicron and I was wondering if you could take a little bit of time now that it's really manifest. And you said earlier, you know, it's, it's really taken hold of our communities and we all know not just one, but several people that have gotten COVID. Um, and, mm-hmm. but how, how has that impacted ERS and our communities and our residents? Well, it, it's certainly a challenge. Um, you know, it's much more transmissible than the other variants that we've had. And um, so, so that's that's a huge thing. Um, it seems to be hit, hitting, you know, children or the unvaccinated at a greater level. So that's a challenge as well. And although we, you know, mandated the vaccine, we, mm-hmm. uh, we have a high percentage of our residents, you know, they're in the community, they're out and around, right. you know, children, and we're seeing, we're seeing vaccinated uh, people get, get the virus. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, that's been a challenge when it comes to um, our staffing, um, our ability to have all of our services available to our residents and, our team, our leadership team took, um, I think, a proactive stance um, first of the year just to say, you know, we know that this is highly transmissible. We know that we're starting to see signs of it spreading. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's shut down more of the community um, events within our buildings. Mm-hmm. And, and we did that. And um, I wish it 
had a bigger impact than it's having, but you know, all of our listeners get our letters that we sent out and um, it it has, it has been significant. And um, I was listening to another program the other day, kind of explaining why um, explaining the surge. And I, I, this stuck with me that it's, it's so transmissible that what, what the predictive models didn't take into account is how quickly people were going to be infected. Right. So we're probably going to surge in the next couple of weeks, not because of anything, but you know, they've infected the people that, that have that lower immune system. So what I've been really struck is the people that have abided by all of the guidelines have had their booster been you know, vaccinated, had their booster social distancing, not going out much at all. And they're yeah. still coming down with the, the virus. And that, that, that is, um, that's a little alarming because we, you know, right. if we do these things, we, you know, um, led to believe that we're not going to get it. Well, right. I can tell you firsthand that people that have lived by the book, so to speak, are getting it. Yeah. And, um, so we are hunkering down the most that we can. Um, you know, the guidelines for retirement communities has changed since the last time. Mm-hmm. And there are limits to how much we're allowed to restrict. Right. Um, but within the limits of the restrictions, we are taking advantage of just any way that we can do anything that we can do to mitigate the spread. But Right. I, I would be misleading folks to say that it's not having an impact. It is. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know safety is always top of mind on on your mind and, and the leadership team and, and, you know, limiting opportunities for people to gather. Um, but it's it's not a total shutdown, as we saw yeah. earlier, which is right. an in, interesting to see. And and. I think the other thing that's been interesting too is that, you know, that, you know, while they are saying there's more mild cases, I mean, there's obviously a big burden in general on our healthcare um, just, just in general. So I think hopefully people can keep that in mind, you know, when they're in the general community to try and limit their exposure to it. It really is, uh, uh, you know, um, somebody asked me, well, why is it, you know, that it's, it's a milder, why is this having an impact on our hospitals as an example, or even us? And, you know, uh, a smarter person than I put it so well, it's like, well, okay, we're starting this um, surge with fewer staff and in healthcare right. in general, Right. you know, you, you can't read the paper without hearing how, um, COVID ha- has made people question whether or not healthcare is their field, right? Right. Um, you know, I've had people say healthcare is too hard now. I'm going to go into general business, and you know that wouldn't occur to me because this is my chosen um, field and profession. But I could see if you know you're kind of an ancillary staff, could you do marketing or HR in another business? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we're going into it at a much lower uh, staffing level, which has caused, similar to us, um, hospitals to close off certain areas. So right, their right. capacity is lower because their staffing's lower. So yeah, right. um, we have a 
a couple of physicians in our family and they've, they've shared with us that, you know, the hospitals are a hundred percent full because, you know, if they had 200 beds pre COVID, they're now down to 125 and they're all full. Um, So it, it, it has an impact. It really does. And I worry about, you know, those that need quote unquote elective care, um, not being able to have that care because number one, there's not availability in the hospitals or number two, they go to have their treatments or their care and it has Mm -hmm. to be postponed because they find out that they have COVID. Right. Right. Or, or other, maybe, maybe not necessarily quote comorbidities, but, but other, maybe issues that pop up like stroke sure. or heart attack or sure. things like that to, to, sure. to be able to handle all those other things that, that kind of pop up in daily life anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly um, a, a different time and, and it'll be interesting to see where we are in another month. Hopefully, you know, some of the predictions are that it, it may go down quickly, but we just don't know. So um, just don't we, know. We just ask everybody to continue to be vigilant and and uh, and patient and and uh, I think one of the themes from the weekend from Doctor the speeches I heard from Doctor Martin Luther King you know as we we all deal with each other love is what is so important whether you know it's important just in daily life but as yeah. as we we deal with one another absolutely what did we say earlier today um, grace <laughs> grace yes grace. <laughs> Give each other grace. Absolutely. Give each other grace. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us again this month. And uh, we'll look forward to getting together again next month. I appreciate that, Brian. Well, um, it was good to hear from Laura today. Certainly, um, January can be a tough month on a lot of us. I personally and my family have lost my dad in January to my grandmothers. Um, It can be a time of grief. I really appreciate the resource that Laura shared, um, and I have. She shared it also in our in our meeting with staff this week, and I've downloaded that, and I'm listening to the book. I I highly recommend it to everyone. Yeah, I, I, it was a really fascinating discussion, and I, you know, so timely. You know, we I think we all or many have the winter blues to begin with, but to add, you know, another surge because of Omicron you know, the loss of, of loved ones, the loss of not seeing friends. I mean, there there's loss can be in so many ways as she's really pointed out. And um, I, I just really appreciated having that discussion and kind of putting it out on the table for our listeners to think about. Um, and I know we shared that with our, our staff this week. And I, I think we really got a lot of great reactions because there's a lot of people feeling blue right now. And, and, giving a way to reframe and, and, and think about it. I, I just think it's so important. So I, I really appreciated her um, bringing up that topic and talking about what she's learning. That's a great tool. And I'm really um, happy that we're able to share that for everyone because it touches everyone's life. Right. Well, Moving on to our last interview, uh, I was I had the very uh, uh, the honor of of interviewing Mary Austin. Uh, I, I've always had a very good connection with Mary uh, and her husband Arnie, having come from the same 
hometown that my my dad's from, Evanston, Illinois, uh, and and in the same really time period as well, even though they didn't know each other. But I, I've just always felt that good connection and admired their really their sense of adventure, as as we'll hear in this interview uh, coming up next. So here's my interview with Mary Austin. So we're here this week with a resident uh, from Dupree House, Mary Austin. Hi, how are you, Mary? I am just wonderful. Thank you, Brian. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. And I I, I know you and I were talking earlier and and we were talking about when you moved into Dupree House was back in October of 2014, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, time, time certainly flies. And that was close to when I started here at ERS, but, but going back to that decision to move into, to do pre-house here in Cincinnati, what what were some of those decisions or things that led you to, to move in? Well, I tell you, Brian, many years ago, uh, I happened to sit on the big board representing St. Thomas Episcopal Church. I mean, mm-hmm. normally they didn't have somebody my age doing that. Right. I was so impressed with the quality of the board, how smart they were, but mm-hmm. how they loved the residents. They, yeah. It was all about what is best for the residents. So that was a big start. Then we had friends about our age, which is, you know, almost older than grass, but not quite. <laughs> right. But um, they were in several different places, and mm-hmm. I was not impressed at all with any of them. Yeah. Uh, I found them cold. Mm-hmm. And then we had some friends here at Dupree, and the minute you walked in, you just felt like you, they were friends. Mm-hmm. Everybody was warm to us. We were uh, went down to the grill one time with Ann Bullock, so many people came over to us and said, welcome, we're delighted, please join us. Yeah. And so we felt, we really felt like we were home once we got here. That's so wonderful. It's, it's just been a happy experience. So since you've moved in, what, what are some of the things that you've most enjoyed about living at Dupree House or the experience you've had there? I think just meeting lots of different people. I mean, we're mm-hmm. different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all probably had about the same education, but mm-hmm. they've all gone in different directions. And it's right. been such fun. We like to go down to dinner and mm-hmm. often we'll say, we'll take potluck, put us with anyone. And right. we really get to know people that perhaps you wouldn't get to know as well. Yeah, there's a lot of fascinating residents there that yes, come from yeah. all different backgrounds, inventors and yes. advertising professionals or yeah. management folks, it, it, doctors. Yeah, 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 physicians and dentists and, you know, you name it, we have it. Right, right, right. So, so I know uh, the, the, the residents are a very social bunch at Dupree House, and you're a pretty social person. From my, so I, I, I imagine you've enjoyed the happy hours and the get-togethers over the years. Well, something that is so special, Phil DeGrett, mm-hmm. who is an outstanding, plays piano, plays jazz, and Joe, mm-hmm. I can't think of last, Jane's name, but once a month, he comes mm-hmm. during happy hour and plays for us for an hour, which is just, I mean, we just flock down there. Right. And then somebody, or I don't know who does it, but he right. comes about every three or four months with his trio. Right. And we are all happy campers. We, I think that is the outstanding. <laughs> we sure. absolutely love it. 
Yeah. But uh, the other thing we have found fun, we heard that one of the floors was doing a Christmas in July. And we thought, huh, the third floor here in building two is the best floor. (laughs) So we now do a September, October party. And we put big tables out and everybody was to bring whatever they want to bring to share. Uh And we do that. And then whatever you want to drink. Well, we started at five. And we thought, oh, this would just last till 6.30. Well, when we did this last fall, <laughs> they stayed until 8 o'clock. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just, you know, we really get to know each other that way. Right, right. And we had the best, but we are the best floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that there's any competition. Oh, no. uh, Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of the things, I was, we were talking about this before we started the interview, Mary, and one of the things I've really admired about you and your husband, Arnie, is how active you've remained, you know, throughout your retirement years from skiing to playing golf. I mean, what, what, how you you always seem to be going off at least every winter for a ski trip. So I think, you know, when I said to Brian to Arnie, when we were Uh first dating, I said, honey, if you're looking for a a glamour girl, you've got the wrong one. But (laughs) if you want somebody that'll get their head wet and try anything, and right. we, did. we all scuba dived, our whole family. We've windsurfed. Wow. Um, we've snow skied. We've water skied. We've, um, we, we haven't skydived. I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we've been very fortunate. Both Arnie and I are very physical people. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, we'll try anything. Right. Well, I, th- I, I think that's that sense of adventure and, and wanting to stay active and engaged is really yeah. admirable. Yeah, well, I think if you can stay, if you can move your body, it's going to cooperate with you. Right, right. <laughs> so, so within uh, Dupree House, what what are some of the activities, things that you you and and Arnie typically enjoy doing over over the years that you've been there? Well, I think the big thing um, we both like to walk, but then mm-hmm. when we were so closed down, we really, really liked the exercise. Uh, yeah. program. It's Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, and we are always there doing that. Uh-huh. Um, and then when it's, well, it's 10 degrees out, then I, right. we walk inside. In fact, I right. just got in and we were outside and just right. walk in the halls. But I like to just get out and walk all over, not only the campus, but just around. Yeah. And the socialization. We often yeah. meet at the mailboxes. And <laughs> right. Or, or I know I've seen Arnie out playing cards from time to oh, time. Yeah. And- and the poker and the bridge. And, right. Uh, twice, I think it's twice a week they're shooting movies and they have uh-huh. people coming in to speak. Right. And um, I mean, there's so much you can take, do as much or as little as you want to. Yeah. I think that's one of the other things that I've always really enjoyed of seeing at Dupree is that just the passion for lifelong learning and, yes. and, and, yes. and the speakers that come in. Have you, are there any topics that you really latched on to over the years? Well, they've done several of the different wars. and Arnie was in the Navy. So right. uh, we've had some of those that we've loved. And then just hearing about some of the characters that <laughs> right. the Diane Shields will come and, and speak on. So yeah. I mean, we're so fortunate here. And then with Anna, if we have an idea, Mm-hmm. And we'll say, hey, have you heard of, and she'll say, well, let me find out about it. Right. And so, um, I mean, she's open for anything and we'll just bring in different people. Yeah, that's wonderful. And and you talked a little bit about um, dining and kind of sitting down and, and 
and meeting new people in the dining room from time to time. But, you know, what, what are some of the, your favorite things about, you know, dining at Dupree house? Cause it, I, I know it's outstanding food just from well, my own food experience. It's wonderful, but it's just part of it is our wait staff, our high school mm-hmm. and college kids. And they yeah. are more fun. And we feel like grandma and grandpa to all of them. Right. We have so enjoyed them. I mean, they're just wonderful kids, young people. Yeah. So you kind of get to know them and where are they going to school and what do they want to do? And mm-hmm. uh, I remember with one little gal, I wrote, wrote her a recommend. I said she was so outstanding. Yeah. That I would like to do that. Yeah. Well, I think that is a special, another special thing, uh, you know, that I've, noticed and even had my opportunities to get to know residents like yourself is the relationships between staff and residents is so special. It's very personal and and everybody looks out for each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, it's just been a happy, even though all through the pandemic was just not fun. Yeah. You know, you, you make the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you had each other to rely on. And I, that, that does remind me, you know, we did do that video last summer where we talked about, you know, how everybody was kind of there to help and you, you helped deliver meals to some of your fellow uh, residents, right? Well, we were all locked down. There was only one door open. So there were right. several of us that would mm-hmm. go to, you know, every morning mm-hmm. and three to four hours and we would take medicines, we would take groceries, we would take right. a pack, you know, boxes up and it, it gave me something to do. It gave me yeah. a purpose, which I needed. Yeah. Right. And it also helped them. And yeah. I got to know people I may not have gotten to know so well. Right. That. So right. I think it was a plus plus for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, it certainly was a difficult time, but if there was one thing in my reflection is that how residents and staff had each other, to kind of rely on in that environment where many people might have been alone in their home. Yes. We had friends that were so alone. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. said, I, I keep saying to people, don't wait too long. Right. Come when you're well and physically well, and you can participate in everything. Right. There's so much to take advantage of, whether that's yeah. the swimming pool or the wellness facilities or all the everything. programming, socialization. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that was one of my favorite stories coming out of the pandemic was, was just how you and several of the residents were supporting each other during that yeah. time. Well, you know, the staff is so busy. They are so busy. And if we mm-hmm. can pick up a little bit of that, why not? Right, right, right. right. So if you had any other advice for people that were looking into moving into a community, particularly to pre-house, what, what, you know, you said, don't wait. Is there anything else that you would, um, would it? St- start kidding. If, if you're really thinking of moving right in the next year or two, start mm-hmm. getting rid of things. Aha, uh-huh. uh, Yeah. Um, make a, have a visit, see what the rooms look like. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always told Jenny, um, Anybody wants to come through our apartment, I'm happy to speak. And several said, oh, my, we, now we see what we can do. Right. Because often they bring, most people bring too many things. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it is a process. Uh, it it yeah. certainly is. So just start thinking about it. What do I really need? Mm-hmm. How do I want to set it up? What's our lifestyle like? Right. 
Well, uh, Mary, thank you so much for joining us today and giving your kind of your background. I've always felt a close closeness with you and Arnie just from um, knowing that you're from you're all from my dad's old neck of the woods in Evanston, Illinois, where he grew up. And they were just a few years and the uh, Northwestern and and Northwestern as well. So uh, put a plug in there. That's right. That's right. What just a wonderful Wonderful town on the north end of Chicago and a great, great yeah, college yeah. as well. But uh, but thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us. You are very us. welcome. And I, will, I know we'll see you real soon. I'm sure you will. Brian, it's so good to hear from Mary. And um, I just always love her positive outlook she's Mm -hmm. a ray of sunshine and to hear her talk about their decision-making process um, when they decided to move to Dupree House was really informative Um, and and certainly you know I'm happy that that was um, their ultimate decision but it really sounded like they they took took their time and um, and made sure that they um, were getting the right fit for them and for their lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I think they had so many natural connections coming into here, but then to hear how much they've gotten out of living at Dupree house from the activities to the friendships, to the, just the support of the residents and even the staff through the pandemic. um, You can really hear the pride of that Mary has in their decision to, to move into Dupree house. And I, I loved her advice don't wait, you know, so you can really take advantage of all the great things that the community offers. So um, again, just a pleasure to talk to with her and, uh, and hear her uh, experience at Dupree House. Well, that's it for this uh, latest episode of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. For more information about us, you can visit our website at episcopalretirement.com. with lots of great content, including our Linkage online blog, resources to hear more about aging and the services we offer, and so much more. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube to see what's going on with NERS and our communities. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please email us at info at erslife.org. The Linkage Podcast is produced by Kristen Davenport and Brian Reynolds, and our technical director has been uh, Michelle Hain. I'd like to thank our guests today, Dr. Betty Rule and Mary Austin, and of course, a special thank you to our president and CEO, Laura Lamb, for always being available and giving her updates. On behalf of myself, Brian Reynolds and Kristen Davenport, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to our podcast next month. Thank you so much, Kristen. You bet, Brian. Talk then.